0: Good morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and, and um, open them up to the book of Mark, chapter 4. is where we're going to take our message out of this morning, a parable that Jesus is going to tell. A real short little parable, but it's packed with a lot of good insights. Uh, I'm, I'm excited you all are here. I'm excited that we're getting close to the end of February. It, can you believe that this, this is the end of February? This is our last Sunday. And we've got an extra day this month the 29th and so uh uh, just moving forward with the year things are going by quick and and as we're getting closer to spring getting closer to summer things and i'm just happy to see people out and about and being able to share with us so welcome and uh, we're glad that you're here today as i was studying for this message this morning i came across a story about a lady by the name of martha berry Martha was born just outside the town of Rome, Georgia in 1865. She was born into a rather wealthy businessman's family, and they owned a lot of property and estates there in in that area. And she asked as a child for a playhouse. And so her father had a little cabin built for her as a playhouse so she could go to and and make house and, and play different things. Well, As she was getting older, she would spend time in her little playhouse, her little cabin, reading her Bible and studying. Well, one day Martha was at that little playhouse, and she was reading her Bible when she heard voices outside of of a bunch of kids that had wandered into her area, and they were playing. And she went out and she saw some of these poor children from a neighboring community called Possum Trot. And... And she, she began to have a conversation with them. Um, she called the children over to her and, and welcomed them inside her little cabin. And she began to teach them stories about Jesus. She discovered that they were uneducated. They could not read. They could not write. And they really didn't know much about the Bible. Because of their social economic status, they just were children just enjoying playing. So she began each week, invited him over to her house to read the Bible. And she taught these children how to read and how to write. She taught them arithmetic and other lessons as well. And then in 1902, she had this great idea that she was going to start a boys' school in nearby Lavender Mountain She deeded the land, and she raised funds and opened the doors to students, and the Berry Industrial School for Boys was formed. Now, that school continued to grow as more students came into the area and became her students there at that school. And and if you visit that area in Rome, Georgia today, you can still visit the house in which she grew up in and this little cabin where it was her playhouse where she taught these poor children about the love of God. And what we're going to see here is how a little mustard seed of faith grew from something very simple to something much more significant. Today, Berry College sits there on 27,000 acres in Rome, Georgia. It has the world's largest college campus There are over 47 major buildings and well over 2,000 students enrolled in this school every year. Berry College is widely recognized as one of the most outstanding comprehensive liberal arts colleges in the southern United States. and A school that had very humble beginnings and a little cabin that was made as a playhouse has blessed tens of thousands of students through the years. So today what I want to do is, I want to take you back into the Scripture. And we're going to look at the very humble beginnings of what produced an amazing movement throughout every generation since then and has changed the course of history. It's this message of a mighty mustard seed that Jesus speaks to us about. Jesus is teaching in parables. And we know that a parable conveys to us something of the kingdom of heaven, but puts it in a terminology that we might understand in our own natural observations. So in Matthew chapter 13, we learn that that parables were our Lord's way of beginning to, to communicate about the kingdom of heaven and about His truth. Isaiah 40, 18 says, To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with Him? Even Isaiah in his time was trying to figure out how do we describe God? How do we compare Him to something? And you want to figure out by giving some kind of descriptive form that we ourselves might understand john the apostle when he describes in revelation for us what heaven is like he he says how can i do this it is like and he begins to describe things in our own understanding of what something might be like jesus does the same thing here so in mark chapter 4 verse 30 he begins by saying with what can we compare the kingdom of god or what parable shall we use for it And you can almost picture it, he kind of pauses for a second in in, in anticipation of how would they describe this kingdom of heaven? And after a little bit of moment there, he gives them his answer. It's like a grain of a mustard seed, which goes on and talks. Now you think about it, that's, that's probably not how I would describe the kingdom of heaven. How about you? Kingdom of heaven is like a a mustard seed. It's, it's, as I think about it, and if I ask people just on the street, what's the kingdom of heaven like, how would you describe it? I don't think the first thing that they would say would be, that's a mustard seed. That doesn't make sense to me. And yet Jesus takes this little seed and he's going to be able to explore it and expand it into a better understanding for us. So His use of this image of something small to teach us about something that is great and larger than we can even comprehend. So let's look into these words of this parable and see some lessons that Jesus wants us to know about the kingdom of heaven. First off, He wants us to understand how the kingdom started. How did it begin? That's really the first question we need to look at. Well, When did this kingdom begin? How does it start? So verse 31, it's like a grain of a mustard seed which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Now in comparing the kingdom of God like this tiny mustard seed, Jesus is using a really powerful illustration. While the mustard seed probably is not really the smallest seed in the world, but in their region in Israel and in the gardening and in their ability to use the seeds that they plant for food and for their own benefit, this is probably the most small seed they're ever gonna find. It is the smallest seed known to man. This is my wife's hand last year in Israel, and and you'll see there's a whole bunch of mustard seeds in her hand. I mean these are tiny little seeds. I mean they almost seem insignificant, like smaller than the the grain of a sand. They're tiny. It takes about 750 mustard seeds to make up a single gram of weight, all right? And it takes 28 grams to make an ounce. Now, if you put that together, you're going to get somewhere around 21,000 seeds simply to make an ounce of mustard seeds. That's a lot. And these, these things are tiny, but they produce a very large plant. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. Jesus is going to compare this kingdom of God to this little seed. And in truth, most people believe that, that nothing could come of our Lord Jesus and His ministry. The people, they could see this tiny little seed, but they couldn't see what was going to come as a result of it. Just looking at that little seed, you're not going to think, well, there's going to be a huge plant that comes out of there. And yet it does. And the people could see Jesus and His ministry, and I don't think they recognized what was beginning to take place. And from this little group, what was going to transform the world. When we think about Jesus, you need to consider some of the facts about Him. Jesus was born in the little bitty tiny town of Bethlehem in humble poverty. He grew up in Galilee, and no one believed that a man of God would ever come from Galilee. His family lived in Nazareth, and the inhabitants of that city were often thought of by the rest of Israel to be wicked and, and to be worldly. Jesus was considered, in essence, a nobody from nowhere who would account to nothing. That's simply who he was. He's a nobody. And his followers, for the most part, they were simply the dregs of society. They were people that nobody really wanted to hang with. They were uneducated. They were hard, common laborers, fishermen, and and, and people like that, just commoners. And he would become despised and rejected by people of Israel, his own people, to the point where they even hated him. And they would then convince the Roman government to put him to death by crucifixion even though just prior to that, earlier in the week, they were singing his praises, that he was their new king. Yet his followers, after his death, they preached of his resurrection, that he came back to life, and that things were totally change but most people they ignored their message and they considered them foolish for believing that a dead man could live again even his own message really when he preached was hard for people to swallow for some it still is i mean after all jesus says in order to follow him you have to give away what you have and pick up a cross and carry it to your death He told people to love their enemies. He counseled men to turn the other cheek when someone striked them. He spoke of going a second mile and succeeding through surrender while serving others and denying yourself. This is something that was totally different than they'd ever heard before. And there's no question that the kingdom of our Lord was just like that tiny, insignificant mustard seed in its beginning. There were no empires that were celebrating his birth the world did not applaud when he began his job but he grew up there he lived there and he died there and he rose again in this little obscure place of israel just some little backwater place in the roman province of israel is all it was it really was an insignificant place compared to rome And yet the kingdom that He founded upon His death and His resurrection has become the greatest kingdom this world has ever seen. So that's how the kingdom started. Now let's turn our attention now to to how the kingdom grows. It begins small and seemingly insignificant like that mustard seed, but then He says there in verse 32 of Mark 4, Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. You see, when this tiny little mustard seed is planted in the ground, and it germinates, and it begins to grow, and it sprouts out, and it begins to, like any other garden plant, but it just keeps growing, and it keeps growing, Matter of fact, some mustard plants have been known to reach up to 15 feet high. I mean, it's amazing how tall these plants can become. Something so small with such meager beginnings can be something so truly amazing to behold. Again, Jesus is saying this is a picture of the kingdom of heaven. It began just in this little bitty group of people there up in Galilee with one man leading it and now the world in its amazement beholds it. In the beginning there was just Jesus and just a few of his ragtag followers and his followers, they consisted of of all these different peoples, fishermen, revolutionaries Traitors to Israel, because there was even a tax collector in there. There were zealots, and, and, and the, there were some women that followed. Eventually, a- amongst all the people that followed him and they cheered him on, that they scra- they screamed for him to become their king. And matter of fact, they even tried to force him to become king at one time. They're going to eventually turn and scream, crucify him. and crucify him they did people are are fickle that way aren't we we can we can turn our our attention so quick from one thing that we celebrate then all of a sudden then it's awful we're always looking for what we can get out of something or someone not what we can give to it man if there's a free thing out there who doesn't want to grab it right by the time the day of Pentecost came along after Jesus' death, there weren't many people who were following him anymore. Matter of fact, when you consider all the thousands that would sit there and wait upon his 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 words and his stories, and and they and at times he even fed thousands of them and he would heal the multitudes. By the time we get to Acts chapter one, verse 15, 50 days after his crucifixion. The book of Acts in 1:15 tells us that in those days Peter stood up among the brothers and the company of persons was in all about 120 not a very big group and it's it's getting pretty small isn't it you, you, you've got thousands that are following you. And they will make their way miles come in and just to see you and to hear you and hopefully get you to maybe heal them. And at this point now, they've all left. The thousands have abandoned him. And now there are only about 120 that are still there and they're praying. 50 days after his crucifixion, 50 days after Passover, the day of Pentecost, something amazing took place. Something that was electrifying within that group of 120 people. The Spirit of God came and he settled in upon them. And the disciples who were in this upper room in the temple courtyard praying, immediately Peter and the other disciples, they began to stand up and preach that morning And and they began to preach in different languages that they probably had never spoken. And and the people are going, how does he know my language? How does he know my own dialect? How is this happening? And it was amazing what was transpiring before their very eyes. And that day, we see an explosion of people putting their faith in Jesus Christ. And the scripture tells us that 3,000 men were baptized that day. 3,000! And that, that blows my mind. And that's just the men. And a few days later, probably about a month or so later, the scripture tells us there in Acts chapter 4 that those numbers increased. And, and there's a point when 5,000 men now surrender their lives to the Lord, let alone the women and children. It's, this is like this is growing. And it's not too long after this that there is said to be about 50,000 people who are now following the message of Jesus Christ there in Jerusalem. Little seed that was planted is now exploding into growth. And that's just the beginning. You see, that message has carried itself all around this world. And, And and in all honesty, right now, it's almost in every nation, tribe, and language has the gospel. But there's still some out there who don't, who have not yet heard about Jesus. Now, not everybody's going to accept Him. We, we obviously know that. We just look in our own neighborhoods, don't we? But this kingdom of God is growing in a significant rate around the world while it might not be so rapid here in america i'll tell you what you go into some of the other cultures in our world and other countries and you're finding it exploding in the midst of persecution Everywhere the gospel seed has been planted, souls have been saved and lives have been changed. The church has continued to grow the kingdom of God on earth and it's been expanding as well. And, and we get a glimpse, as I mentioned earlier about John in the book of Revelation, he gives us this vision, this image that he has been able to see that God has provided for him. And in Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 and 10 he says this, After this I looked. And behold, a great multitude that no one could count. They can't even number the people there. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. John says, God has given me this vision of the kingdom of heaven in heaven. And there are so many people up there that have put their faith in Jesus, you can't even begin to count them. I can't wait to try. How about you? I mean, this, this is significant. He he's, has a way of bringing great things out of humble beginnings. I mean, just take a look at Joseph, the son of Jacob. He was a nobody. He was the youngest in his family for the most part, except he had a littler brother, and, and, and he wasn't really liked by his, his brothers. They hated him, so much so they wanted to kill him, but he's a brother, we can't do that. Yeah, so they sell him off as a slave. He literally has no influence at all, it seems. And yet, from the the humble... Beginnings of Joseph and his life in slavery and in prison, in Egypt, he becomes second only to Pharaoh. And as a result, he has the opportunity to save his family who hated him, and also save the fulfillment of the promise of God because they were going to die in, the, in the, the famine where they were living. But because he was able to provide for them, eventually Jesus would come into the world. A mustard seed. Look at David. Man, he was a mustard seed. He was he was the the eighth brother, and he was the little one. As a matter of fact, he he had the menial job of of that nobody else wanted. He's out in the fields taking care of the sheep and, and all the bigger brothers, they're they're doing their thing. And 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 he's a nobody. A nobody. Matter of fact, when, when Samuel was sent to David's household to anoint one of the boys as kings, he's looking at these fine strapping young men. He's thinking, oh, this is going to be one. One by one, they pass by and God says, no, no, no. Samuel is kind of getting confused. What do you mean? Why no? These guys are, these guys are great. You know, and, and he says, no, don't you have another one? Yeah, he's, he's out in the field. You, you really don't want him you see, here's the thing. God doesn't look at us from the outside. He doesn't look at our physical stature. He doesn't look at at anything about that. What He looks at is the heart of the individual. And He saw something in David that He wanted to make him king. And He does. God took this mustard seed of little David and He made a giant killer out of him. And changed the whole course of Israel's history. Consider Gideon. <laughs> he was a mustard seed too. All right. Gideon, he was from the smallest family in the smallest tribe of Israel when God came and said, Hey, mighty warrior. What? He, in essence, says, I've got a yellow streak down my back that you can't even see it. What do you mean you can't? I'm, I'm hiding down in this wine vat down here trying to keep away so that the Midianites don't see me. I'm not a mighty warrior. I'm a nobody. But God uses him in a great and mighty way, and he becomes a mighty military general. And through the power of God, with only 300 men, defeats an army of hundreds of thousands. Now let's look at you. doesn't matter how significant or insignificant you may see yourself. With a little mustard seed of faith, God can use you in mighty ways if you're willing to let Him. According to the Bible, however, you were a sinner. I think all of us were for all of sin, right? Right? It tells us that in Romans chapter 3.23, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In essence, what that means is that we are, we are dead in our sins and our trespasses. Ephesians 2.1 and 3 says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We're no different than anybody else. We're just like them, and they're just like us. We all fall into this, and we are so dead to ourselves because of our sinfulness. And according to the Bible, You then are under condemnation and the wrath of God is the only thing that you have to look forward to. So we see Romans chapter 2 verse 5 through 8 says, Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness there will be wrath and fury. But God in His grace look beyond what you were to see what you could become. And so He offers you mercy. He offers you grace. He offers you life eternal, the forgiveness of your sins, and the empowerment of His Spirit to do wonderful and mighty things in this world. So He has saved you and planted you in Jesus, and now your life has the ability to bear fruit that will continue on. You see, God can take an individual who who appears to be insignificant and make something great out of them, no matter who they are, no matter where they're from. He can take anybody, a backward stuttering man, and and he can use him to bring the law of God to humanity in Moses. He, He can take an awkward, shy shoe salesman and use him to shake the world for Jesus, and he did that with Dwight L. Moody. So what could he do with your life? What could he do with you if you would say, use me? Well, while we've examined how the kingdom started, how it grows, there's one more thing we need to look at. How the kingdom blesses. So we see this in Mark 4, 32. And he says, yet, When it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants. And it puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. This tiny seed grew into an enormous plant. We have a picture from last year in Israel. Some of our church people here. But that, that green plant over that the wall is a mustard seed tree it's not just a little garden plant i mean this this was huge it has also been known that some of these trees are strong enough that people climb in them they, they just get big and they get strong out of one little bitty seed And its branches, they spread themselves out, offering a place of shelter for the birds of the air to rest. In the shadow of that plant, the birds found their shelter from the storms and rest from their weariness and shade from the sun and and food in which to eat. And, And this humble mustard seed produced a plant that had many, many uses among humanity as well, not just with the birds. We think about it. People gathered its leaves, and they serve them up as food so you can eat the leaves of this tree. The seeds are crushed and used in, in condiments. How many of you like to put mustard on your hot dog? Oh, oh, there you go. Oh, yeah. All right. You think about this, it's not only is it used as an edible thing, but it has also been used in medicines where it has been, been crushed and added with other um, things to, to create medicines that will be used as a poultice or medicines that that might be used to, to help with antidotes. Get this, mustard seed can also be used somehow as an antidote for scorpion bites, snake bites, spider bites. I didn't know that. Just as the plant in this parable brings joy to the birds of the air who flock to it for shelter, the kingdom of heaven is a place for us when we come to it that we find blessings as well we find shelter we find protection from the storms we find shade we find rest everywhere the gospel is sown it has germinated new life compassion decency Morality has sprung up in those nations where they did not have that prior. Hospitals and schools have been founded based upon the gospel. Truth and salvation have proclaimed. Lives have been changed everywhere it goes. Everywhere the gospel is sown, it has brought about the destruction of demonism and cannibalism and polygamy and child sacrifice. and The list can go on and on and on. Thousands of other evils. When gospel comes in and the kingdom of heaven takes over, it changes things for the better. The spread of the gospel has, has built orphanages for the fatherless, homes for the homeless. It has reached out to comfort the bereaved, care for those who are infirmed and cured the sick. The gospel has changed individuals' lives, communities, and nations. And even our nation was founded upon the gospel message and the moralities and the principles that are based in there. Whether people want to accept it or not, they are still receiving the blessings of that. when the kingdom of heaven moves in with divine power, the kingdom of Satan must fall before its appearance. It may have humble beginnings, but God uses His kingdom to change the world. Just as the birds in the parable, they found many great blessings under the branches of that mustard plant, those who come to find Jesus they discover blessings as well for their own life. A shelter from a storms of life. We see that in Psalms chapter 61, verses 1 through 4. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever and let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. We find rest from the weariness of sin and the burdens of life. And so Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30 says, Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Matter of fact, we can find protection and shade from the wrath of God when we come into the kingdom of heaven. And Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And that's a great blessing to have just because you have discovered the kingdom of God. Food for the hungry soul. Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. And Psalm 107, 9. For He satisfies the longing soul and and the hungry soul He fills with good things. Matter of fact, we we can discover in Him the cure for death itself. That it has no control over us. Look what it says there in, in, in John chapter uh, 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes Him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come in a judgment, but has passed from death to life. He goes on in John 11, verse 25 and 26, when He talks with Martha, and He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me Though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I do. I I would not be standing here today if I did not believe it 100%. I know what he has to offer. And if you've never accepted what he has to offer, my goodness, why are you waiting? You see, he has the cure for the sickness of sin that we all have in our lives. Isaiah fifty three four and five says, "Surely, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him smit stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions; he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us." peace and with his wounds with his wounds we are healed now that's good medicine from humble beginnings born in a little lowly manger scene he has revolutionized the world and he brings salvation to all of us I just thank God for the blessings that I can find in Jesus. How about you? I, I don't know where or how you feel about it, but I'm glad there's a place in the kingdom of heaven for me. And I'm glad that, that I can tell you that there is a place in the kingdom of heaven for you. Matter of fact, he's told me he's making a room ready for you at his house. Yeah, You don't even have to use the guest room. it will be a permanent room. So what is this message of the mighty mustard seed? Well, it's this. The kingdom of God may have humble beginnings, but it will expand and grow until it has universal impact. You can also look at it this way. God has taken something that seems so small and insignificant, He can transform it into something that is great and awesome. And He has done that with His message of the cross. And He can do that for all of us if we will put our faith in Him. It's going to transform your life in an unbelievable way. I challenge you to look at your life today. If you are not a child of God, if you are not a part of the kingdom of heaven, if you have not given your life to Jesus, you might want to think about it. He's not going to turn you away. He's not going to say, well, you need to work on this. He will take you right now how you are, and He will begin to mold you and transform you into who you need to be. But you've got to surrender yourself to Him. Bring the seed of your life and bury it in Him. Bury it into His death and His resurrection in baptism, into His name, and He will bring you back to life, born again like you have no idea what it's like. And a lot of you already are children of God, aren't you? Well, you need to take your life and make sure that He is growing within you so that what He does with you becomes a blessing for others as you share with them your testimony of faith. Bring your mustard seed to Jesus today and watch Him take it and turn it into a massive plant for God. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for today.